Goes on. <coughs> Sorry. So, um, just lovely to, to be able to share God's Word again with you this morning. I know Dave, he, uh, he always, when he's away, gives us different, or different people opportunities, and it's, it's a privilege to, to bring God's Word to, to the church. Um, although I do think Dave has uh, snuck us off here. He's, he's asked us to start the new series on money matters, and now he disappears. Then we have to, like, ask no, no, we're not asking for money, but uh, but uh, so we're gonna we, we we're gonna start our, our series on on money matters, um, and uh, yeah, I'm just excited about what God's gonna challenge us on. Uh, when we talk about money, money is very close to the heart, and uh, and Jesus knows that. And as we as we look at that today, we're gonna we're gonna need to have a bit of introspection um, and look at our hearts, and really just allow ourselves to be challenged. With regards to this thing, um, because yeah, it cuts deep when we when we start talking about the cash. So let's just pray, and um, yeah, I really just want to just to give this time over to God for Him to to speak to our hearts. Father God, we we know that Your Word is living and active. We know that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it cuts right down to, to the core things in our lives. And we know how important money is in this world today, and uh, just how much it, uh, it's a part of life. And so we pray that your word would just speak deep into our hearts today, and guide us in how to live well in this economy of life and help us to, to live according to your spirit and to hear what your spirit is saying to us today. Amen. So I'm not sure if, uh, if any of you have watched children when they encounter a cupcake. Yeah. At school when it's children's birthday, sometimes they bring cupcakes. And different children approach cupcakes in different ways. There is demolition man. <laughs> like it's demolished. Like it just like it was there and then it's gone. There's demolition man. There's there's the introspective one who kind of looks at it and appreciates the sprinkles on top and the twirly of the icing and then you know and appreciates each like little aspect of it. And that's good. That's good. There's different types and different ways of approaching cupcakes. And then there's those who, believe it or not, are actually able to, to put it to one side until later. I mean, like, hang on, that's like weird. No, no, it's just different, but okay. They actually can take it, and they can take it home and share it with someone else. So different strokes for different blokes when it comes to cupcakes. When it comes to money, there are also different approaches that we can take to it. And Jesus, when he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount... He looks at three different approaches, three different attitudes that we can take towards money and cash in this world. Um, and it, it's interesting that it's, it actually takes up probably maybe about a quarter of the Sermon on the Mount. If you just look at the verses, count the number of verses, uh, Jesus actually gives a, a large chunk of the Sermon on the Mount, which is an amazing sermon. And we're going to... We're gonna, kind of look at it, we need to look at it holistically, which is what we're going to do today, 
But probably about a quarter, if you just count the number of verses, about a quarter of the verses are dedicated to this, this story of money, um, which is, is really quite interesting. So as, we, as we, we look at what Jesus is teaching about money in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole because there's a definite theme that it, it follows right throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And we, we need to understand that in order to understand what he's saying about money in chapter 6. So if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew chapter 5. And as Jesus teaches, it, it talks about, he says he saw the crowds there, and then he wanted to share what was on his heart with them. So he went up on the mountainside, obviously to a place where he could accommodate them, and he started by teaching his disciples, and, but it probably grew to teaching the multitudes as well. So if we look very briefly at an overview of the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with what we would call the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he talks about the blessed life. The, the Greek word there speaks about enlarged or overflowing or abounding grace, which stirs up within you a, a deep, deep joy and happiness. Some translations of the Bible actually translate that word blessed as, as happy. But So Jesus starts and he says, guys, I'm coming here to teach you about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a place of blessing where, where, where my grace is enlarged in your life so that it overflows in, in goodness and, and wonder and glory. And it starts with heart issues. Blessed are those who are meek, humble, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Already, he's, he's setting it out there, guys, this is not about you blessed when you're like up there, it's blessed when your heart seeks me, okay? So, so there's his introduction, the Beatitudes. Then he goes on, and this is a, a really like, and now he sets the bar, after he said, this is, this is where we're going, this is the, the bar. The bar is the law. And in this world of the God of grace, he, right up there, he says the law is not going to be abolished. Every, and he tells the, the, the disciples, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's not, he's not saying we were chucking out the law in this, in this glorious kingdom. The law is very important, okay? And then he goes on, and he says, guys, I'm going to redefine this. And he redefines the law. He, 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 takes, the, he, he takes the bar of the law, and he, and he ups it. He talks about murder. He says, the Bible says, don't just murder. The Bible or the law says, don't murder. I'm telling you, if you even hate your brother, it's the equivalent of murder. Because like from here, oh my goodness, Jesus. Okay? What's going on? Then he goes on. He says, adultery. You think you, mustn't, you just mustn't commit adultery. If you look at someone lustfully, it's the same thing. He talks about um, making promises, loving your enemies, an eye for an eye. He says, guys, in, in, the, in the Old Testament law, it says, if your friend does this to you, you can do back to them. I'm telling you, if your friend asks you to do this, just forgive it. If he wants to borrow it, give it to him. 
If he says, carry it to a mile, carry it two miles. He says, love your enemies. So after speaking like that, of saying the law is there, he then redefines the law to say, the law is not about what you do. It's about where your heart is. It's about your thoughts, your motives. It's not about killing someone. It's about hating them in your heart. He, he, he ups the standard to say, the law is not about the stuff that happens. It's not about the stuff in your hand. It's the things in your heart. That's what I'm looking at. The kingdom of God is about what's going on in your heart, Jesus is saying. Then he goes on. So after redefining um, the law, he then looks at spiritual disciplines. And he ups the bar again. He says, when you fast, make yourself look good. No one must know you're fasting. This is between you and God. It's a hard thing. He says, when you give, don't let anyone see. Just give. Because this is between you and God. You don't give for, for like the sake of stuff. This is a heart issue. When you pray, go into your closet and pray. Why? Because this is a heart issue. This is just between you and God. So he, he completely redefines spiritual life. He redefines what the kingdom of God is all about. And he says, it's not about what you do, it's about your heart. And in the context of that, that's where he is in his sermon now. And then he starts, he says, okay, now let's talk about money. Now let's talk about money. Now that we've redefined what it's all about. It's all about your heart. Let's go talk about the cash. So we pick up Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6. So he's taught all through chapter 5. We've summarized that briefly. And he talks about treasures in heaven. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. And we're going to read all the way through to 34. So this is a big chunk on, on what he's got to say. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then... The light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add an hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not, dressed like, uh, yeah, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, 
O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, seek his righteousness, and these things will then be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, Jesus speaks about three attitudes that we could have towards money. Either we're going to crave money, we're going to seek money, we're going to want money, or we're going to be concerned about money, we're going to worry about money, we're going to stress about money, or we can learn to be content with money. Let's have a look at those three attitudes. The first one that we read about is talking about craving money, seeking money, worshiping and wanting money. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Rather, store up treasures in heaven. We know what treasures of this earth are all about. We live in a fairly well-resourced time. We're a fairly well-resourced church. Most of us have got plenty of treasures here on this earth, right now, at your home, on your feet, on your pocket. We've got plenty of treasures, okay? Some of us have a few more treasures than others, but we've got plenty of treasure. Much of the world has very little in comparison to us. And Jesus says it's, it's very important that we don't aim to store up more treasure on this earth, but we aim to store up treasure in heaven. We need to change our focus from, from what are we wanting to do in this world to what does God want us to be doing so that we can seek His glory here on this earth through what we do and how we use our resources. Because if our hearts, if, we, if our hearts are stuck on our treasure, it really, what it does is it starts to make God small in our lives. And he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. And he's saying, we've we got to be very careful that our desire is not for more money. The question then is, yeah, but what about going to work? Mustn't I go to work? I mean, surely I've got to go to work. I need the money. We're living in a, in a world where we need money. I mean, we don't have a flock of sheep in our backyard and a row of grain that we can, like, survive. We, we, we actually live in a world that works on money. And I want us to, to see that very carefully. The, the job that you've got is the job God has called you to. And that by going to work in the morning and doing your job well, that's honoring God. If you're going to, the, to do your work so that you can get more stuff, that's honoring self. But work has come. Work is part of life. 
And Paul even says, he says, if you're a slave, be the best slave there ever was. Because that's what you've got to do in this world. And so where you are, when you wake up in the morning, go do that to the best of your ability. To go earn what God has called you to earn and use what you've got for His glory. If we're going to work so that I can build my kingdom, then I'm making it all about myself and that's not honoring to God. That's not what God wants here. And if God has placed you in a position where you earn millions, go earn those millions and use it in His kingdom because that's what God has called you to do. And if you have a position where you earn not as much as that, go earn what you got to earn. But go do your job for the glory of God to extend the kingdom of God because that's storing up treasures in heaven. And when you go to work with the emphasis on bringing glory to God, you will love your neighbor there. And you'll do your best job you can do there. But our heart is never about the riches. Our heart is about doing what God wants and storing up riches in heaven, being obedient to our Father. The second thing he talks about is being concerned about money, worrying about money, and feeling that we're not going to have enough. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about the clothes. And again, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or drink? The pagans run after those things. The flip side of, of wanting wealth is being concerned that I don't have enough wealth. Or being concerned that the wealth I've got is not as good as the oaky next door to me. Oh, look at his car, but look at my car. Oh, look at his clothes, but look at my clothes. Oh, look what they got in their lunchbox. Look what I got in my lunchbox. Oh, we go to their house and they serve that. And they... When we compare ourselves, then we begin to be concerned about what we've got. Or else we feel that I'm not going to have enough. I'm going to run out. The things in this world... The, the expenses are going to supersede what I've got. Where will that leave me? What will people think about me? And so we become concerned about our wealth. And we, and we, we worry about where we are. And whether we've got enough, whether we're concerned about having more, whether we, our hearts are, are seeking more, or whether we're stressing out, about not having enough. Either way, the danger of either sides of those two spectrums is that it makes God small. It, it makes God seem like God can't provide for me. He's too small to give me what I need. Or else it says, pleasures and treasures are bigger than God. God is small. Treasures and pleasures are better. And either way, 
whether we're stressing about money or seeking money, what does it tell us about our heart? In our heart, God is too small. And that's the, that's the honest truth of where we need to be introspecting and looking at ourselves today. Where are we in this thing of money? Are we making God big enough to be our provider and to be our delight? Because that's where he needs to be. That's what he's telling us in this passage. Which brings us to the third response, to be content with what we have. Have a look at verse 34, verse 33. Here's the solution. In the, in the light of all these problems, whether God is, is not big enough and, we, and we're delighting in worldly treasures, or whether God is too small to provide what I need, this is what he says. But here's your solution. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Then all the other things will be added to you. Look at what he says about God in this passage that makes him just so amazingly big. He says, look at the lilies of the field. They do not labor or spin, but not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And he could, would have added, if he'd taught this later on, if Paul was teaching this, he would have said, look at Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross for you. Surely that God is great, and you would seek him beyond anything else. And surely if he will give his life for you, don't you think he'll organize some bread and clothes to provide for you? And so we see, when we look at the picture of God, we can see if, if our picture of God is big enough, then we no longer begin to seek wealth, and we no longer are worried about insufficient wealth. And we can live in that place of contentment, where we can seek first the kingdom of God. If your picture of God is big enough, then we can seek Him first. And all the other stuff will be added and will come. But it boils down to what does your heart seek? Seek first His kingdom. Why? Because God is big enough and bigger and better than any other pleasure and treasure on this earth. And if we don't believe that, we will continuously be sidetracked into other things, into worries and delights regarding wealth and treasures. So that's the, that's the, the, the place where we, where we are. That's his solution. He's saying, make me bigger. Delight in me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Because I provide for the birds, I provide for the plants, I can provide for you. I want to end as we, by looking at 
at how Jesus wraps up, first of all, the Sermon on the Mount, and then his, his challenges for us over here. And this is where the rubber really hits the road. If we have a look at verse 34, I want to end with a few sort of conclusions that, that, that Jesus comes to. First of all, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added to you as well. Be very careful, church, of putting the cart in front of the horse because God will not be mocked. Don't think, oh, I'm going to go and honor God because then, then he'll provide all those other thingies for me. Yeah? The Sermon on the Mount is about your heart. Right from the beginning, he spent like one and a half chapters redefining the kingdom of God is about your heart. God will not be mocked. He'll not be, seek God first so that I can get the goodies. No, no. It's seek God first. Full stop. The goodies, God will provide your needs. And God provides everybody's needs as, it, as he sees fit. And don't get all caught up in, but he's got that, I want that too. Because our heart is in a bad place then and it just falls flat. God provides what you need. Some people need millions so that they can share the kingdom of God and bless others. And that's great. Their heart is in a place where God has put them with that and, and love that. God has blessed them for them to be generous in their ways. Great. We celebrate that. God has others who don't have as much. And they seek God in that place. And they find God in that place. And it's their walk with God. We cannot compare ourselves and say, but God, I want like that. No. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness. And he will provide our needs. He always does. He always does. Trust God. But don't put the cart in front of the horse and try to twist God's arm. God will not be mocked. The second warning that God has for us over here is where Jesus is talking about putting God first. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And then a very interesting two verses. Matthew, there it speaks. It, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And after that, in verse 24, you cannot serve two masters. And the two verses in between. The eye is the lamp of your body. If your eyes are good, the whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Don't be fooled. What you're looking at and the thoughts that are going through your mind, through your eyes, if we're jealous and coveting, we might be all glowing on the outside. But if it's dark on the inside... If you're here and it's all like smiles and good, but deep inside you're jealous of that oki. If you're in here and you're coveting what that guy's got, 
if, you, if, we, if we're here, but we're not content, I'm actually just here because I want something else. If our heart inside is wrong, but we're glowing on the outside. Look at him, what he says. Jesus says, if the light within you is actually darkness, light, the things we think we're portraying, if we're deep inside, then how great is that darkness? It's even worse than like what we think it is. Funny that he puts that verse slap bang in the context of where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, and you cannot serve two masters. Because he knows, he knows, this is the, the deepest challenge in how we justify what we do with our money and how we explain it away. Yeah, but like, you know, like if, if I had more, then I could for Jesus' sake, but actually for my sake, you know. We get these things, our hearts and our motives get so easily entangled. When it comes to finances, it gets it get so messy. Jesus is saying, guys, I understand that it's messy, but you've got to be very, very clear on this. Because if you're not clear, it very quickly leads to really tough things. And it boils down to just our joy in living. Doesn't mean you're going to now be caught out for, we're not talking about getting caught out for dodging your tax and now going to jail. We're just talking about living life well here. Living life in the fullness of God and His kingdom and His plan for you. So he's saying we need to be very, very honest with our hearts and what's going on inside. And then I want to end with what Jesus, as he gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he has um, three analogies of application. The one is the wise and the foolish builders, which you know about, uh, which talks about taking what he said and putting it into practice. Talks about the tree and its fruit. Good tree inside produces good fruit, but a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And he talks about the wide and the narrow gate. Matthew 7, this is Jesus' conclusion to his sermon. We'll conclude with it too. And he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I don't think Jesus is talking about salvation here. Salvation is not, not a difficult thing. Many, many can find salvation. The life I think he's talking about here is life and life to the fullness, a life that's completely submitted to God and a life and a heart that is totally devoted to him and him only. That's life and life to the fullness. And that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about a heart that seeks God above all else. Right from verse 1, it talks about bless, the blessing comes when we submit to God's ways. Right through the, the laws that he redefined as heart issues. Right through the spiritual disciplines that he redefined as heart issues. Right through the, the issue of money, which has become a, it's a heart issue. And putting God first and making Him big and ourselves, and our, and our ways small. You see, when we can make God big, and ourselves small, 
That's when we have life and life to the full. That's when we start to live well. We're not concerned about our finances and we're not seeking wealth, but we live well. And that's difficult. Be honest about it. That's difficult. Jesus is honest about it. He's saying the life of me less and God more and living for God's glory and trusting Him with my finances in every way, that's difficult. That's a, that's a narrow gate and a crooked path that goes up and down. That's life, but that's life. That's life to the full when we can live in a way that seeks God above all else because He's bigger and stronger, because He's the one who provides for the birds. He's the one who dresses the, the, the plants beautifully. He's the treasure above any other treasure that we should be seeking. When that's the attitude of our hearts, then we live well. Then we have life to the full. But let's be honest about it. Because we need to be honest about it. Our eyes will, will fool us. Let's be honest about it. We get caught up by the blessings before we get the, 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 the heart attitude. He says, that's the narrow gate. But enter in there. Enter in the narrow gate. Because that's where life is. That's the path that leads to life and life abundantly. Life fully. Go for it. Go for it, church. And maybe yeah, you're sitting and you're saying, Shaw. That sounds good. How on earth do we get there? That's okay. Jesus gave us that answer just before that too. See, the Sermon on the Mount is, I mean, hey, it's Jesus' sermon. Can't go wrong. Yeah, he didn't get it wrong. He was the man. Listen to what he says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock on the door and it will be opened to you. Because which of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? If he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him, who ask him? You see, that's the God we're talking about. The God who knows what's good for you, who loves you. He's so good and so kind, he sent his son to die on the cross for you while you were his enemies. Let us not get sucked up into the ways of the world where we, where we begin to worry about the lack of wealth. And let us not get caught up into the ways of the world where we start to seek treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven. But let us, let us live in that place where we are totally content, totally happy with knowing God and knowing Him in His fullness and resting in that, no longer having to seek and find and make things work. I can rest in the goodness of God because He's the good God who, if a earthly father knows how to give gifts, goodness me, Surely our heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts and to look after us and to be a treasure that we could live with forever. Let our hearts be there. Let's be challenged. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's the narrow gate, but let us live in that place where God is our treasure. Let's pray together. Father God, we 
we recognize that this world tells us everything else other than what your word tells us. This world tells us to store up treasures on this world. Help us to live against that, Father God. Help us to live with a kingdom mindset where you are our treasure, where you are sufficient, where you are enough. Help us to live like that, Father God. We live in a world, Father God, where we are told that you don't have enough stuff. Then the stuff that you not, have is not good enough. We live in a world where, where we feel we need more. And we, we, we're not going to have enough. And we're worried, Father God. We're concerned about that. We live with, with worries. Forgive us for, for making you so small that we think you can't provide for us. Forgive us, Father God. And help us, help us, Holy Spirit, by your power, by your grace, help us to call out to you, to ask and seek a knock for you. So that as we see you, as we encounter you, we will be content and know that our great good God is providing for us. Let money not rule our lives, Father God. Oh, Jesus, let money not rule our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. I'm going to end. I'm going to ask Declan just to, to come up. something, And, and to just sing that, that, that chorus that we sang earlier, God is so good. And I want, to, I want to encourage you to just stand or sit. Declan, around. We lost him. We might have lost him in the children's room. No, don't worry. We can just pray. We'll have a message. Do you want to share something? So this sermon is, is very apt for Sean and me at the moment. Um, those who know me know that I've got a mouth on me. And my family's probably laughing at this moment. Um, but I would hear the, I've learned to be content, and I've learned to, you know, be content in much and content in little. And when I'd hear somebody with money saying that, I'd think, oh, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's too easy. But... I'm so grateful because God is, I, I don't have a jealous bone in my body, and I can honestly say that, and that is a gift from God, that I, that I don't have a jealous bone in my body, and I could truly be happy for what people have or don't have, that whatever anybody else has or doesn't have doesn't change anything in my life. My life is still my life, and that's good, and God gave me my life, and he gave us a tough road to walk. Um, Sean has been running the PE Church Net Ministry for 20, plenty years. And there have been many really, really tough times. And for the last seven years, I've been running a crochet business, giving classes and doing orders and everything else. And I was aware that this year is my seven years. It's my year of Jubilee. And I remember thinking that about a month ago, more or less, um, about a month ago. And... Also, on the 24th now of September, Sean and I have been married for 40 years. Only old people are married for that long, hey? And I'm not old yet. So, I saw a friend's car, and I'm like, Lord, I want to get us a new car for our 40th anniversary. I don't know how this is going to happen, 
doing crochet as my job. How New cars are a lot of money. I don't have money for a new car, but I know. And that was the desire of my heart, is for a new car for my 40th anniversary. And then in one week, the week before, I'd been talking to Yvette and saying, I'm like done. This is hard. This is hard, hard, hard. I'm tired of doing this. It's too much sometimes, and I'm fed up. And like I said, I have a mouth on me, so I might have used a few words that maybe would have been better not to say, but that's okay. One week in August, things changed. We got an email from Sean's brother in Canada, and my car was tired. And if I say my car was tired, we buy cars offered us 15,000 Rand for our 23-year-old car. It was tired. And my son, who's a mechanic, would say, Mom, I'm done fixing this car. I can't fix this car anymore. So Sean's brother emails us. Would we mind if he bought us a car? Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> and from nowhere. It's not new, but it's a beautiful car, and it's in the parking lot. Yeah. And then in the same week, God restored to Sean, because with PE Church, he does websites, and God restored websites that were stolen from him. And God restored a couple of different websites back to him and the hosting and whatnot. And then God gave me the biggest order of my entire seven years of crochet, 240 pairs of slippers. My fingers are broken. And if you know it's 240 pairs, that means 480 individual slippers. It's a lot. And I give him all the glory for it because he did that. Because I can't do that. And I'm not perfect. I'm the person who looks at people who've got money and say, you learn to be content. I'm thinking, shut up your face. But God looks at me and says, shut up your face. Watch what I can do. Thanks. And thanks, thanks for sharing that. I mean, that's just amazing how we see the provision of God, of God. He clothes us better than the lilies of the field. This weekend, uh, on spring day, I always go pick lilies, not in my garden, in the bush. That's, that's my spring day thing. I go, I go get them in the bush because those are God's ones. They, they just live there. And, and He clothes us cares for us better than that the birds of the air he looks after them they're not worried God is our good God and so I want us to close this this morning we're going to just sing that, that, that chorus a couple of times God is so good and really just allow God to remind you about that goodness again in his heart how he has blessed you how he will bless you because he is good that is who he is he can't be god can't be bad and so some of you might be really struggling to believe that and if you if you're really struggling to to believe that god is good and you need someone to just come and pray with you and say I need some reminding that god is good then that's why we're here. That's why we're a community. That's why we have testimonies of God's goodness to remind us that God is good. But maybe you need someone to just pray, put their arm around you and say, 
Let's pray together and remind ourselves how good God is. If you need a hug from God, just to be reminded about His goodness, we'd love to come and hug you in the physical realm as God hugs you in the spiritual realm. If you need a hug, we're here to hug you. Come and join us up front. Get a hug from God. Be reminded about His goodness. But otherwise, let's sing and celebrate together the goodness of God. Thanks, Declan. Let's stand together. Steadfast love can escape. Your faithfulness and endless sea. So full of grace and mercy, we sing God is so Enjoy the day, enjoy fellowship with some friends, there's coffee at the back at Holy Grounds Coffee Shop, there's coffee and tea in the lounge, and just be blessed as we celebrate God's goodness to us. Have a good day.